You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Coming of Cage. I am your host, Derek, and I have my other lovely co-host with me, Ryan. Hello. Hello, hello. And we are the Nicolas Cage Review Podcast, where we spin a wheel and pick a Nicolas Cage movie and then talk about that movie. And, you know, that's what we're doing today. And the movie we're talking about today is the 2014 film Outcast, starring primarily Hayden Christensen and then Nicolas Cage uh, and, and several other uh, people as well but they're the two people that we'll probably be talking about the most for better or worse uh, this movie according to imdb quote a mysterious warrior teams up with the daughter and son of a deposed chinese emperor to defeat their cruel brother who seeks their death the movie was made for 25 million and brought in 5.1 so we know it was a rousing success um now ryan why don't you kind of explain to people how we normally do this and then you can move us along so normally i try and take notes while we watch the movie and uh that gives us kind of a uh you know frame by frame maybe not frame by frame but it gives us a chronological uh bit of talking points so we can uh, kind of just push through the movie as we go um but I do want to say right off the bat that it's been, I think, two days or three days since I've watched this movie and I've already basically forgotten everything about it. So it's not my initial opinion would be that it's just not that great of a movie. Um, a little forgettable. Very forgettable. I mean, a lot of these movies that we've watched, not I wouldn't say a lot of them, but several of them that we've watched so far are that way. Um, now, there is one key thing that's kind of interesting just for us we this is episode uh 14 of the show no 15 excuse me this is episode 15 of the show and we have now in, including this one have done three of his films from 2014 yeah. out of 15 movies <laughs> which is just really weird that that has been the case so uh maybe he just had a really busy 2014 so he's got uh, one more left left behind is the only 2014 movie of his we haven't talked about yet so so there you go but yeah it it this is this is the movie so ryan what was your first note on the film monologue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was my first note mm -hmm. because it starts off with a monologue it does it does as all great movies do as all some movies do yes <laughs> um i don't even remember what the monologue was about but i remember thinking that it was like trying to be really edgy uh it wasn't like particularly interesting yeah then we get into like if I remember right, again, I'm saying this because I don't remember that much about the movie, uh, but uh, we get like a big battle scene, I think. Yeah, so we're brought to 12th, 12th century Middle East, which is very general. Uh, we find out in a little bit that they're that they're fighting the Moors and the they is, I think, the Scottish. Um, it's a little unclear because Nicolas Cage and Hayden Christensen put on these, I, I guess they're Scottish accents. Uh, but i'm not actually sure that that's what it is i did scottish was definitely not the vibe i got I don't, I don't really know but i know whatever it was nick cage really went for it like it according to imdb in the in the trivia which there is very little love for this movie mm -hmm. there's one that talks about how hayden christensen practiced his scottish character's constant fainting by going on a week-long pub crawl in glasgow so, I mean, maybe they're Scottish. I don't know. But either way, it's like the Crusades. And they're all wearing, you know, armor. And it's got the big cross on it. And they're fighting these people in the Middle East who we only find out are the Moors. If you're like, I think you only catch it if you have the subtitles on. But uh, otherwise, it's kind of overlooked. 
And the Nicolas Cage character, I guess, is like having second thoughts, Ryan. Not in this. Well, I mean, a little bit in this moment, I guess you start to see like the eggshell crack. Um, In leading up to that, we get my next note was Zack Snyder School of Slow-Mo. There was a lot of slow-mo. Lots of lots of slow-mo, unnecessary slow-mo. Wasn't like I'll say that, you know, there's mixed feelings on the internet about Zack Snyder overall, but I would say one thing he does really well is that even though he uses a lot of slow-mo, it's visually interesting to look at. That this was not that visually interesting to look at. So I would I would go out and uh, this, this may be controversial, but Outcast is no 300. Not oh god. <laughs> Yes, that's I would say that's accurate. Um, <laughs> it, it almost felt like even this like starting in this like opening battle scene, it almost felt like a kid playing with like his dolls and like just trying to come up with the coolest ways of this dolls doing things. Um, and there was I got a that lot vibe of like, a lot of the movie. There was a lot of throwing a very large, heavy-looking spear incredible distances and killing a person instantly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got some notes about some things like that. Yeah. Uh, and then I have armored Nick Cage for my next note, which I think is our first time seeing him in armor. Yeah, because he's he's wearing a helmet even for a good chunk of that early. You aren't even she- sure it's him until so like if you really get like a shot of like dead on in the face. You're you don't know it's really him. Well, because I think the first time you see him, he's on horseback. And And you see it from like the side, just briefly. But I had looked at the poster and the key art and stuff. I'm like, I I think that's him. I think that's I think that's our guy. (laughs) I didn't recognize uh, Hayden Christensen at first, though, either. He looked a little different than I'm used to seeing him. Yeah, he. You know, we've been over a lot of things about Mr. Cage on this podcast, obviously, and I think my favorite thing about him is that even in movies like this, he a hundred percent buys into it. Oh yeah. He is. Even if it's the most ridiculous concept, which most things about his character in this movie were, <laughs> he is a hundred percent there for it. And he is going to do his best. And, and it doesn't always land. And I would no. say this is probably one of the ones where it didn't land, unfortunately. And the accent, I just could not get past the accent. Well, so one of the major problems with this movie that hindered it drastically is the white savior complex. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I do have a note about that. You know, this movie mostly takes place in, I guess, China. um, And the only two white guys in the country have to save everybody. And that is bad. That's a bad look. It was not received well when it was released in Hong Kong. And so it had extremely limited releases. Uh, It didn't even like get a a normal DVD release. So like this movie was difficult to see until streaming kind of came along for that reason. And then you bring everything else into the fact that it's just it's a mediocre movie at best anyway. And it's just it's a recipe for just nobody to see it. Yeah, which is probably okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm not really that mad about that yeah um, that's fair my next note is that there's a major contrast between uh cage and christensen even this early on i think what i meant by that was that cage like i mentioned was like fully bought into this character and that hayden you know i'm not going to try and pile on to a lot of complaints that people have about him as an actor but in this movie he felt like he wasn't really doing anything as far as acting goes it mostly felt like a very wooden performance. Like, I don't know, like you were watching a tree try and do things. That's intense. Um, you don't agree? It, like, he, he I felt don't. like he didn't really emote or like do anything at all. And it, maybe it's maybe it's because he was playing a stoic character. But you can't use that excuse for every movie. No, you can't use that excuse for every movie. Uh, but and maybe the opening sequence isn't necessarily a fair kind of example for the whole film but i thought as the movie went on you know later when we're reintroduced to him i actually thought he put on a pretty good performance um and maybe maybe it's because everything else around him is worse i felt like he was one of the bright spots of the movie wow okay we and you had very different experiences watching this movie yeah apparently nick cage was the bright spot for me because i thought (laughs) that he was he was so boring to watch hayden was Nick Cage uh, was the uh, <laughs> listen. 
there's a moment there is just a, there's we'll get to it later but there's a scene that i just it just makes me laugh just thinking about it now and it's completely ridiculous and inexplicable inexplicable and just goes away at some point and it's just amazing it's just we'll get to it oh god okay so when you're watching this choreography which keep in mind that this movie is probably 60 percent fighting good chunk of it yeah at least uh and I had trouble as uh, if if you've listened to my podcast before our podcast before, then you know that uh, I'm a fan of action and like choreography and fighting. And the nothing as far as the fighting goes in this was believable to me. You could tell that every sword hit was just like pulled, and there was no force behind it. Especially the slow mo made it that much worse. Well, and there were just a million cuts in every single action sequence it was difficult to watch most of the time yeah i would agree with that um and this movie also is plagued by another problem that isn't as prevalent anymore but definitely used to be a bigger problem where uh some characters die by a glancing sword cut and others can get shot and stabbed and pummeled and knocked off the side of buildings and then just row a boat across a river. So <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're a hero character that needs to survive, then you can take whatever is thrown at you. But if you're just a random like goon, then you die just when somebody looks at you. Right? Like there was just there was a lot of the glancing shots or just killing scores of guys while the heroes are getting seemingly the same hits and moving forward. Yeah. You know, and it's always like, well, it's the adrenaline. It's the adrenaline. Well, what about the other guys? <laughs> exactly. Right? It goes both ways. But, but yeah. Um, so I had intricate armor designs for my next uh, comment, which is a compliment. I actually thought a lot of the armor was really cool looking. Um, not really the like their armor, Nicholas Cage's and Hayden Christensen's, but a lot of the other armor designs. Yeah, the uh, Moors were... had really good armor. I like yeah. the Black Knights. Surprisingly um, good. I mean, in a, Black Arts. I, I feel like uh, most of the budget in this movie was on the person to that designed that armor because it was really pleasant to look at. Uh, well, I really I, liked it. I mean, I guess if like if we were going to say anything good about the movie, it's the costuming and the set pieces I thought looked fine. Yeah. Right? I would they, agree. They shot in a very beautiful area. Um, you know, that they, whoever did the location scouting did a good job. The set pieces were really nice. It was the writing and the core, the fight choreography that was really troubling. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, why I, I said earlier when I said it felt like uh, action figures fighting was because like everything looked really cool. But then when things started moving, it was like a kid slamming together two action figures and mm-hmm. you just, that's the best way I can say it. Uh, I, I I don't know if that lands, but that's what I kept thinking watching the whole movie. Uh, and then we get a scene where there, uh, my note is that the dialogue in the scene is painful, but really most of the dialogue in the movie is painful. Um, I think this is just really where it started to settle in when they were talking about succession to the throne. Okay, so so real quick though, before we get to that, that so the intro ends after about nine minutes, and the Scottish people win and, and beat the Moors. And at that point, it's pretty much set up that Nick Cage is going to go his own way and leave behind these Scottish troops. Um, Nick Cage's character is is Galleon, and Hayden Christensen is Jacob. And so Jacob has let Galleon free of his promise to Jacob's father, and that's. I'm just going to throw it out there. The last time we see Nick Cage for almost an hour. Yeah. He he leaves at the nine minute mark and we get him back at the 58 minute mark. Which is really funny because if you would, the only thing I had really seen about this movie prior to watching it was the poster. Uh Uh-huh. And he is literally Nick Cage is the, even in front front of Hayden Christensen. Mm -hmm. He is like the front of the poster. He Um, is. So it's a little weird how how much billing they gave him, and he's actually top billing on IMDb, which is funny. It, it, it yeah, it, and it's interesting because on the poster Hayden gets top billing, in the credits they do the credits alphabetical. So like it's just it's a little weird how that worked out. But this is a Hayden Christensen film primarily, 
You and, say that 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 Hayden Christensen Christensen gets top billing, but his name is in front of Nick Cage, who is much larger on the poster. Right. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, it's a little. It's more like Hayden got top billing, but the marketing team focused it's like, on. Like, we Cage. need Nick Cage. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's very weird. Um. But yeah. So then we jump ahead three years to China, and we're talking to now. They call. They keep calling him King. I was under the impression that they they would be emperors, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but that's the scene you're talking about where he's talking to his yes. young son and, and sister about succession to the throne. Yes, and it was rough. The dialogue was bad. Yeah. Well, it, it also doesn't help that we're, we have a movie that follows... It's in the 12th century. Okay, this is the 1100s. It follows Scottish people. Moors and Chinese, and all of them, except for Hayden Christensen and Nick Cage, speak perfect English. Yes, Everybody. I actually think I have a note about that. It, that bothered me more than like anything in the movie was that there's no accents really. Even well, I mean, obviously Nick Cage's accent and Hayden's that's, accent. That's that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. The two white dudes get bad scottish accents and everybody else every person of color is speaking just perfect crystal clear english no accent yeah you know uh which just feels like when you take that on top of the white savior complex the movie has it's a bad look and you know it's not like a lot of big name actors in this movie but there's just no way that that would have I can't imagine that feeling good to any of those actors as who are people of color who took that on as a job because you got to get paid and get those acting credits. Right. Yeah. Um, and Nick Cage is in the movie, so got to do it. <laughs> That's right. Of course, he's in like 60 percent of movies. So that's in his contract. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my next. No, OK, so in that scene, the king or emperor or whatever he is mm -hmm. tells his younger son that he's going to be taking the throne and he gives him this thing mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, whatever it was called the seal the, the seal. seal and sends him with his sister away to like run through these like hidden tunnels or something right. mm -hmm. and then a few minutes later the eldest son shows up with like an army right and figures out what the what the king did and send some guards to go chase after the kids. Yes. And they catch up to the kids almost immediately. So at this point, my next note was, how did the guards catch them so quickly? Because they have like a full conversation. The, the older son mm -hmm. and the king have a full conversation, several minutes. Mm -hmm. And then the when he realizes what's going on, he sends the, these guys to go after the kids not going through like the secret tunnels or whatever the kids are going through mm -hmm. and somehow they catch them like uh, catch up to them almost immediately so that was fun yeah uh it, well and the whole scene is just you know so this obviously is setting up our big bad right the older son i'm drawing a blank on his name at the moment and i'm trying to find him in the credits but the credits on imdb are kind of a mess for this film but uh, either way, he is the bad guy. He's this big warrior dude, and it's supposed to be a time of peace or whatever, but he feels slighted because he's the older brother and he's done everything his father ever wanted. And so he orders everybody out, including this one guard who I guess is, you know, very close to the king or whatever, and makes some very horrible threats. So they really paint this guy as like straight up, like this is a straight black and white. This is the bad guy. Right. He's a bad person, right? You, everyone hates him. He's evil. Let's move on. There's no gray area here for this guy. Uh, and then he kills his own father. Yeah. And then blames it on like the six year old kid. Uh huh. So, so to, to mess up that, that time, that timeline even more, he gets, he comes in, he's talking to his father. Meanwhile, the son and daughters are supposed to be leaving. He's talking to his father. He then gets the guards to leave. He then has another conversation with his father, kills his father, calls the guards back in, and then orders them after his younger brother. All and of still that somehow finds it <laughs> finds them immediately. And still catches up immediately. Like I understand that kids have smaller legs and so they can't move as fast. But he's but... fourteen. He's not three. <laughs> I mean, he's the, those ages are basically the same to me at my oh, age. God. So. You know, yeah, it didn't. I don't know. I don't. I feel like maybe that contributed to it a little bit, but who knows? 
Um, and then, yes, my next note is, oh, God, this is a white savior movie, isn't it? So there's that. The, well, the, the, so there's a there's a, a little fight scene uh, as the younger son and the daughter are trying to escape with this bald person who is some type of aid or protector. And that was the moment that was the fight scene where I'm like, OK, this is what this movie is going to be, because this fight scene had a thousand cuts you know there's that joke about like the last taken movie or whatever where like liam neeson has to climb a fence and there's like 15 cuts cuts. right it was that but with more people and weapons it was just very hard to watch it was just it was a little sad too because that particular character you're talking about a lot of what i saw him do was pretty good and looked legitimate Mm -hmm. and probably some of the best combat in the movie but it was yeah it was just destroyed because there's a bazillion cuts for the people that can't do their action scenes quite mm-hmm. as well um so yeah that was aggravating yes, um, it was. My, i'm not 100 percent sure about what this note is but i said did that guy just pee on him yeah yeah so we we move ahead and um the the sister and little brother so the sister's name is leon she and her little brother uh shing right i think They have found like this watering hole type place. It's a bar, right? And they're looking for an escort, and they can't find an escort. They keep the camera keeps cutting to this unknown figure off into the corner. And me, being who I am, I'm like, oh, that's Nick Cage. This is gonna be great. It's not. It's Hayden, Um, and he's high on opium. And these guards come in looking for the kids, but they take his. They take jacob's sword for some reason and jacob just wants his sword back and ends up killing all the guys yes yeah. yeah my next note is did he just throw a sword at a guy's head in a hostage situation yes well i think it was a spear okay i don't whatever it was yeah there's basically a hostage situation where uh you know the guards are holding like a dagger if i remember right a dagger mm-hmm. to the throat of the girl mm-hmm. and well the sun it's the it's oh the 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 sun sun. okay yeah and so they take the uh just instead of you know the trope in action movies where the where the guy takes a gun and just shoots the guy holding the person hostage in the head like right next to the hostage's head Mm -hmm. instead of that because we're in you know like medieval not medieval times but older times he he throws a spear Mm -hmm. somehow like Okay, when it's a gun, like a bullet moves pretty fast, right? But with a spear, you have to actually like physically wind up and aim. Not if you're a Jedi. And somehow he was able to do all that without the guard going, oh, maybe this guy's throwing a spear at my face (laughs) and like stabbing the girl or like putting the girl in front of it or a guy in front of him, sorry, the kid. Well, Um, this this kind of concept reminded me a lot of um the the jackie chan movie drunken uh drunken master wow what an insult because, to drunken no, no, master. hang on no, no no it's not that's not what i mean let me finish the thought i felt like they were trying to recapture that here by having hayden be this high drunk who can magically fight when he's high and drunk even though he's like stumbling over himself and can't see i think that's what they were trying to accomplish and just couldn't do it yeah yeah that might be accurate i don't know it was just bad it was bad um and i know you disagree with this but my next note says that his acting is very wooden so yeah i mean i i think you know he's trying to play a scottish man who's drunk and high and is also supposed to be stoic and i feel like that's a lot to ask in a movie of this caliber (laughs) Maybe, yeah. I mean, whatever the case may be, it didn't come across very well for me. But, uh, and then maybe you'll remember this one is from Whole Village Destroyed No Emotion. I don't yeah. remember. They come across a village that's being raided by the Black Guards, uh, clearly looking for the prince and princess. And they don't seem super upset about it, except they discover one person is still alive and a black guard is going to get her. And so they're trying to stop him. And they shoot this, an arrow. Shoot this is where Jacob. Yeah. He shoots this like ridiculous arrow shot. Um, and maybe because it's not ridiculous. I'm not an archer. What do I know? What? He's also Hawkeye, basically. Not yeah. Only he's basically do everything in combat. He can yeah. also shoot amazingly. Mm hmm. Yeah, in, but in he tw- shows no 12th emotion. century bow and arrow. He shows no emotion through this whole thing. 
literally I don't think his his facial expression changes at all from watching like this village burn to the ground to saving this person. I think part of the problem is he's supposed to be wrestling with these demons of his past, but we don't get to see a whole lot of that. We just get to see him high all the time. Right. And you, you need more than that. You need to, you need to show us why he's sad. Right. We have really no context. Not much. And then here's my, everyone speaks English note. (laughs) Everybody. Yeah. Uh, Which is a little immersion breaking. Even like a scene with the throne succession. Why would they be speaking English in that moment? Like, you know, that's not their native language. There's no one that is an English speaker there. Mm -hmm. So So why are they not speaking Chinese? Well, the Moors are all speaking English and the Chinese are all speaking English. And, you know, it's only a three year gap between those two things. So it's not like, you know, our Jacob and Gillian somehow became fluent in Chinese in less than three years yeah. right like it just it doesn't work right um why is his vision always blurry so there's like a lot of scenes he's where high it cuts to his yeah but i mean i'm not really convinced that that's a, an accurate portrayal of what opium does to you oh i mean I've that's never fair. Done it. that's totally it fair it just seems weird that this guy that can shoot a bow an arrow a primitive bow and arrow not like a modern bow and arrow mind mm-hmm. you uh you like 200 yards mm-hmm. uh perfectly accurately accurately and throw a spear into somebody's face mm-hmm. before they can react that their vision would not always be blurry because that seems like it doesn't really work very that's well. just how good he is ryan oh yes we did skip over what i thought was the weirdest camera choice in the movie so after the fight in the bar and they're leaving he goes outside and he takes a bowl of seemingly water off a table where other people are eating. And he goes to like pour it on his face. And oh, pers- yeah, we get the camera inside the thing. The camera's in the bowl. Like all of a sudden we switch to a, nor- a relatively normally shot film. This is a pretty basic Yeah, film, nothing really exceptional here. Right? And then it's shot to this bowl cam all of a sudden getting Christensen right in your face as he's pouring water in his face. It was very weird. Yeah, yeah, I my one of my upcoming notes is Moist Hayden, so we'll get that one out of the way. I always like to recognize when we get a moist cage, so I feel like it's only fair to recognize a moist Hayden. He gets um, moist a lot. I also have in here amazing hair considering the circumstances. His hair is always like perfectly he looks good in this style. movie. He looks great. Yeah, to be honest. I'm not convinced that this hair haircut was actually in style and that century yeah i I have no idea or that a hair product existed that would give him this beautiful like look all the time despite all the battles and drugs well and it's unclear how much time takes place between the king dying and the end of the movie uh i assume it has to be at least a couple of weeks but it's very unclear how much time passes yeah so then we get like a flashback with nick cage Mm-hmm. And, and so the my training, notes, the training montage. Yeah. And so at this point, I, I I asked in my notes if that's the only cage we're getting from here on out. I had that thought. The only cage we're getting from here on out. Thank goodness. But yeah, that was that made me worried in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like. I did think it was funny. I did appreciate how. So the training montage, the flashback shows nick cage teaching jacob how to shoot an arrow and he keeps going wide left and so cage stands on the left and then jacob is able to make the shot because he doesn't want to shoot gillian but it doesn't work in the present day time period and i thought that was kind of funny yeah that was funny it's like he can't be as good of a teacher as as good old nick cage can right yeah i like that i thought that was a good moment um so then I don't even remember necessarily the context of this next scene. I think it was with uh, Hayden and the prince and princess. I don't know if that's the proper term for them, but yeah. That, that's, um, so in the movie, it's it's the king, prince and princess. Okay. Is that accurate to China? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I always thought they were called emperors, but. Well, that might be kind of a weird thing to say, but or to assume. But I don't know. Anyway, they're like they're like hiding in the dark because they see some guards coming or, you know, people, whoever they're up against coming. And they're 
while they're trying to hide in the dark there we have this bright white horse and mm-hmm. bright white dress that the princess is wearing and they look like ghosts in the night like they stand <laughs> out so much they do but we're supposed to be taking it seriously that they're sneaking i just thought that was funny they rolled high yeah i guess really high that's a dnd joke for those of you not in the know um <laughs> then they in, in maybe the next scene or a soon after scene they go up to a random caravan in the desert yep because now they're in the desert i mean and, china does have a lot of desert sure it's just like a sharp transition from where we were before fair enough um and they proposition this random caravan in the desert to like get them somewhere and hide them because we have money or whatever. I, th- I can't even remember if they offered him money. I assume yeah, so. He, oh he yeah, get, the gold that the, the princess paid. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this caravan is so friendly. Definitely nothing going against them in this. This is there's nothing to worry about here. This they're just this one lady that they talked to there is just so friendly and helpful. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. Um and then they they go with this caravan and they everybody like Nick Cage's or not Nick Cage, Hayden Christian's character is wearing like cloth over his face, and the mm-hmm. princess is wearing like cloth over her face, and then the prince is just like walking around in his normal clothes, you know, that clearly stand out, very nice clothes, no mask, <laughs> no nothing. Yeah, but I do have to wonder, it's the 12th century. How, how do people know what the prince looks like? I don't know. Probably right, like I'm sure a couple of people do some of the top guards, maybe a few of the, of the generals. Right. But how does the average black guard have any idea who these people look like? I don't know, but they do because we're all supposed to assume that. And show it, me a wanted poster. Then it's just show, weird. show me one wanted poster. Derek, with them you're putting way on too it. much. That would have been way beyond their budget. <laughs> um, yeah, but they, they decide not to disguise the prince at all. Zero. So that's fun and then big surprise the lady that was so friendly as a trap you never could have seen that coming she she sells him out couldn't have predicted that ever after getting uh jacob high and drunk and yeah you know seduced yeah yeah and then we get a the traditional in nick cage movies punching women in the face scene so that's funny. Except it's not Nick Cage doing it this time. Oh, I was gonna say like, I don't remember that happening. Yeah, no, but it's in every every Nick Cage movie. A woman is getting punched in the face. It seems like. Yeah, I mean that does happen. So Christensen wakes up from his drug induced state somehow with plenty of time to spare, and as they're escaping, yeah, he just knocks her out. Yeah. Um, and then they start running away. Mm-hmm. But they. My next note is good thing they don't stand out because they are all dressed very, very different. That and like the prince is wearing very fancy clothes and the princess very fancy clothes uh, compared to literally everyone else in this entire scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all and even Hayden looks cr- incredibly different than everyone else. There was no attempt made to hide or disguise themselves. Um, so yeah, that's fun. <laughs> And then I made a comment about the fight scene editing. Fight scene editing is terrible. It is. There's a little fight between like the head guard and Hayden. Because again, like this is one of those movies where it's like, there's 40 guys here, but we're only going to let you fight one of them at a time because we're going to be fair that we want this to be a fair fight. And so fight like one guy at a time. Oh, man. And then he jumps off a building and breaks through like a thatched roof and he's fine yeah yeah of course and then my next note is pocket sand i can't re- i don't remember exactly what happened there i'm guessing somebody threw some sand into somebody's face oh yeah i guess Hay- hayden does that yeah. it's a reference to uh king of the hill if you were seeing king of the hill gotcha uh there's a character that always carries sand in his pocket just in case there's that circumstance and he yells pocket smart. sand whenever he throws it into someone's face That's smart uh that nick cage accent is deep that's what I wrote for my next one. Well, so you've jumped ahead a little bit. Well, but... there's no notes for me in the. And if I jump ahead, it's because Sorry. there's nothing gotcha. worth commenting on in that scene. But yes. Well, long story short, they end up across the river and they're going through the forest, being chased by the black guards, and a bunch of bandits kill all the black guards and capture them. And that's when we meet Nicholas Cage again. Our first time seeing him three years later. His hair is longer, and he is holding in each hand wrapped around each arm for no fucking reason a snake why does he have 
two snakes for that entire scene. Okay, and then so they're gone I think, forever. <laughs> I think Nick Cage just really likes snakes because remember in Joe, he talked about how the snakes were his friends. Yeah, but it's not had... the only snake reference we've had in these movies. I, I really honestly thought when I saw him, he's got these snakes wrapped around his forearms and he's got like the heads of the snakes in each of his hands. I truly, honestly thought that we were going to see a fight scene where he uses the snakes as Man, that weapons. That would have been way better than what we got. Although I don't love to encourage violence with, with, involving animals. That would have been a pretty cool fight. Well, they would. there's no way you could have done it with real snakes. But like, you know how like um, in Mortal Kombat, you've got like the chains that Scorpion can throw. Yeah. Right, like that, that. The snakes. <laughs> that would have been cool, but no. I mean, I think the 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 most I can think of with that is that snakes in general are supposed to symbolize evil or temptation, and I think it's supposed to make you think that maybe he's not the same person and he's gonna sell him out too, or so I don't really know. That's the best explanation I can come up with. I I, I I like that conversation though. Like they're like, well, well, we'll use snakes as the imagery. Okay, well, where do you want the snakes? Well, what if he had one like wrapped around his arm? Well, what about the other arm? What do you mean? Well, I think he needs to be balanced. <laughs> I I would guess that this was Nick Cage's idea. It's just I honestly I'm sitting there watching the movie by myself and I was like, what? <laughs> what is I, that? I I guess I should say I hope this was Nick Nicholas Cage's idea because that would be awesome. It was so funny to me in that moment because, like, he's got like one eye's messed up, but for some reason he's not wearing an oh, eye patch. Oh yeah, okay, so we'll get to that. You know? Yeah, we'll get to that. I wanted him to have an eye patch. Like he was basically a pirate. He was a snake pirate at this point. It was just, oh my god, it was amazing. It was amazing. Okay, so I had a theory about the way he was acting in these. Uh, in this later part of the movie. Okay. I feel like he was going for a Jack Sparrow vibe. There was a lot of similarities in like his mannerisms and the things he was doing you that think? made me think Jack Sparrow. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I just got that vibe. Maybe I was reading too much into it, but that's definitely like what I felt like he was going for, or at least like a little influence from that. Okay. Okay. Maybe, I... Maybe that's out of left field. I mean, I definitely got pirate vibes. Okay. Well, at I, least we're there. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was specifically Sparrow, but I definitely got pirate. And then, okay, yes, we're going to go to the eye because, Nick, you know I love you if you're listening to this. But, man. As he usually does. Why did you just, like, close that eye? <laughs> or, like, because, you know, the... We're supposed to believe that he had like a severe eye injury and he couldn't open his eye. But the entire time you can see, because like if you try and keep your eye closed for a significant amount of time, you notice that your eye like starts opening up. And you can see clearly that his eyeball is moving around behind, like because his eye starts to open up in moments. And, you know, and I can't blame him for that because there's only so much you can do. But I can blame production for it. Why did we not just like get him a prosthetic? Uh, or a scar or an eye patch you can go get one of the at the drugstore for five bucks maybe maybe they were worried then he'd really look like a pirate yeah that's true but i mean having a closed eye wasn't really not going going against that i mean it didn't work it yeah the close the the way they handled his like eye injury was not great so they could have given like it's not a lot to sculpt a prosthetic you know a small prosthetic like that so why why not do that give let him be him be what he wants to be for this character instead of forcing him to work around this like one eye closed because that did not work um and then my next note is are they finally gonna fuck but i'm pretty sure that's not nick cage and hayden christensen (laughs) no i assume you mean the princess leon and jacob which by the way it's worth pointing out that leon is actually played by the woman who now does the live action mulan and so she has moved on to better things. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they they share a kiss. That's really all we get. But then we get like a fade to black. Yeah. So I, don't, I mean, it's I don't, kind of implied that something happened there. The white I didn't savior think so. had to come in. And okay, well, you're wrong. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got here. So the <laughs> problem with this next bit of the movie is we've already seen it. Again, we now have a character who is a reluctant hero. 
We have two reluctant heroes that have to be convinced to help two essential children. And we have to do it twice. Like, why do we have to do it twice? It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my next note is I can see Nick's bad eye moving. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Okay. Oh, that really bothered me. And I mean, I don't I feel tell. like there's anybody that could watch this movie and not have that bother them. Like, not necessarily his bad eye moving, but just like you can see him struggling to keep his eye closed. So the whole thing before he mentions because at some point he has a conversation with Jacob and explains why his eye is the way it is and why his wife doesn't speak. And it's a sad story. But until that moment, I wasn't sure that his eye was supposed to be injured. <laughs> like there was a bright light just on that one eye. Or like was- maybe he had like an infection that he was working off or like he got something in his eye during like a fight scene or something. Like part of it was just like, that's just kind of there. And it- <laughs> You were just ready to accept it. Yeah. I mean, with everything else happening in this movie, that's the least weird thing. So. I mean, like, this, this, maybe that's why he wanted the snakes, was to draw attention away from the eye. Maybe. <laughs> that, that could be it. Um, so then we get, like, this final battle scene. Well, and... there's a whole tr- there's a whole setup montage. You gotta okay, love go a it. preparation montage. Those I didn't are... really love it. But, <laughs> you know, I do love a good montage, but I would not classify this as one of those. Fair enough. Um, and all the bad guys just attack one at a time. So thank God for that. Uh, oh, you you mean after most of the people have died and it's just Nick Cage? I think, yeah, this is when it was just Nick Cage and he's coming out and they just all start attacking him one at a time. So, I mean, yeah, everybody dies. Every, every, everybody, all these bandits die, including Nick Cage's wife, Gellion's wife. She get, She dies too. And yeah, he just walks out of the cave and there's like 40 guards, including the supposed king, right? The the older brother who's right. usurped the throne. And they, yeah, they come at him one, maybe two at a time. I've seen Power Rangers fights that seemed more on par with Absolutely. how that should be. And yeah, Nick is just like tearing through these guys. It takes like 15 guys to bring him down. He's got, I think, four spears in him at the same time. Yes. And I he's feel like still he had pushing same, forward. He had the same contract negotiators that The Rock has, where he can <laughs> only be killed if he's got 17 spears and a three arrows in his throat. It was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it was. And then we get Dead Nick Cage, which is pretty on par with most of the movies that we've seen it feels like he has died in a good number of movies that we've watched at this point at the end like in the last 20 minutes right uh, of the movie it seems like that's when he always dies we haven't really we should do a track of that but yeah i know i feel like we should have several tracks uh like all the sex scenes all the moist nick cages all the (laughs) ones where a woman gets punched in the face which is not as fun of one but it is a weird fact it is weird. Uh, yes. How many he dies in. Oh, yeah. And... But then hey, for now, now at the same time this is happening, uh Jacob is supposed to be escaping with the prince and the princess. And their method of escaping is to go out the front door where Nick Cage is. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most effective, but it is a surprise to everybody. And this is where any semblance of plot just goes out the door because the entire movie the black guard and the older brother have been trying to hunt down and murder the younger brother the 2b king the prince and he has them he's got 40 guards some with bows and arrows okay who didn't use their arrows at all on nick cage for whatever reason and rather than just kill them and move on with their lives the older brother does a one-on-one fight with jacob yes because that's realistic and yeah jacob gets sliced and diced a bunch of times he even gets there's interference from some of the other people and that's where the the original guy comes back into play and whatever and it's just it's not a very good fight it doesn't really make any sense. There is no reason that this guy shouldn't be able to mow Christians and down, right? Yeah. This is a guy who has trained his entire life. 
He's been in a million you know, battles. He's got two swords and he's fully healthy. He's not high on opium, allegedly, right? You know, you would assume. Jacob is probably high. He's been injured multiple times. In fact, he was so injured, he was bedridden for days. Yeah. Right? He's already been hurt during these, these battles and he's got one sword, which he loses at one point. And yeah. he still like he still wins because the princess gets involved and the brother kills his own sister. Seemingly, he's upset by it in his waning moments before he dies. Yeah. My next note is thank God two crazy white guys were there to help. And the princess survives. Wow. Somehow she stabbed the same way as several other characters, but she lives probably because of her love for Jacob. That's right. Her just sheer willpower. And then my last note, I don't even remember the context of this. It just says free swords with an exclamation point. Three swords. Three. Free swords. I don't know what that means. I don't either. <laughs> I'm guessing because like there's so many dead people and there's just swords left everywhere. Oh. You were just I like, hey, really free know. swords. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the looting that could have taken place after this fight. Yeah, there should, there should have been at least a few rare items. Yeah, exactly. Some magic items in there. <laughs> yeah, that's my last note. This movie, not great. I mean, he, he the, the, the kiddo makes it to the general who doesn't like the older brother anyway. And the general and all of his troops kneel before the 14-year-old king. And that's... Oh, and, and and Jacob goes on his own way. He and the princess do not end up together. He just goes off because trouble follows him or whatever. And that's it. Yeah. That's, that's the whole movie. That's the whole movie. Not great. No. Did, no, not, en- did not enjoy much of it. Uh, don't I would recommend. say maybe there was three to four minutes of the movie total that I enjoyed. Um, but there, there were moments, right? There were individual moments that were fun but overall it's it's a boring movie that's ex- that's very long the marketing is fairly misleading and it's problematic and is it's, it's very problematic Deeply problematic yeah there there is definitely problematic across the board yeah and so when you're when you're that thing. when your movie's that problematic it then just makes me assume that a lot of the other stuff is probably bad too Right. And I just don't know enough about Chinese culture or more Moorish culture to say what those wrong things are. But yeah, that seems reasonable to assume. I mean, yeah. I <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> I didn't make the movie. So, I, but if I did, I would have, I, I know that like doing research is an important part of that, that job. So you would think, yeah. But that's it. So, yeah, we got to rate the movie. So, how do we rate the movie? We have our cage o meter where we rate our movies from zero to 20. Um, on overall quality with zero being the worst movie ever 20 being the greatest and caginess zero being zero cage and 20 being the cagiest movie you can imagine ryan where would you rate the let's let's start let's go the other way around this time the caginess in this movie so there's not a lot of like our traditional caginess in this movie i would say um like he didn't necessarily overact or like, you know, what most people would consider a, a cage thing, which isn't always overacting. But um, I would say the only caginess in this movie comes from his choice of accents and like that snake scene. And the eye. And I guess, yeah, and the eye. But I mean, <laughs> I don't think that was intentional. I think that that was, that one was a weird thing, but I don't think that was like him making an acting choice. Maybe it was. I'd have to ask him if he even remembers making this movie, but. Um, uh, Nick, if you're listening and you'd like to talk to us about uh, Outcast, please reach out comingofcage.com. We'd love yeah, to talk to you. That'd be great. Um, I don't know, <laughs> probably like a five or a six on caginess. Yeah, low. I mean, it wasn't like super cagey, but it was a little more cagey than a couple other movies we reviewed. So that's fair. So, so a six is that what you said? Yeah, I'll say a six. A six. Okay. So uh, for me, I, I was going to go a little higher because of the, I think the combination of those three key things, not like super high or anything like that. I'm just kind of looking at some of our scores and I think I'm going to put it at a nine. Okay. I mean, that's I'm gonna, fair. I'm going to put it at a nine. And so that actually gives us a score of what? Seven and a half. 
So there we go. So seven and a half of caginess is the overall caginess score, which uh, puts it just above next for those who are following along. So it's reasonable. Now, quality. Do you want to go or do you want me to go on this one? I went with the last one, so okay. I think you should go on this one. Whew. Overall quality. Well, it's not the worst of the movies that we've watched. I will say that. Um, no. There are worse movies here. And I'm thinking about the overall qualities. And I would like to put it above a few others. So I'm going to give it a score of a... I'm going to give it... Oof, man, it's so problematic, though. I'm going to give it a 7. Because that's what I gave inconceivable. And I'm sorry, that's what I gave next. So um, a six. I'm going with a six. What did we give inconceivable? So inconceivable, I gave it a six and you gave it a five. Wow, really? No, wait, a four. Holy moly. Okay. You gave it a four. Excuse it me. Is I have tough a lot of numbers because on my Our screen. early movies, we didn't have as much context you know when i when i watched inconceivable i was like surely the movies can't get much worse than this um but we've gotten some that are worse than this so i feel like i enjoyed inconceivable more than i enjoyed this movie i'm gonna i'm gonna put it the same as i did inconceivable a five you mean a four no i'm gonna give it a five (laughs) i feel like inconceivable probably in retrospect should be a little higher because i've seen worse movies now but uh you know that's how it goes when you're doing a show like this well look when we get done with all of his movies we could just start back over from the beginning and do a take two please god no (laughs) all right so a five and a half on quality and a seven and a half on caginess keeps it in the bottom left corner so the bad not so cagey movies which actually is looking like the biggest quadrant uh right now we're gonna have six of our 15 movies in that quadrant sweet so there you go so all right so now we got to figure out what movie is going to join our wheel of cage we have 18 movies on the wheel of cage and the movie that will be replacing outcast is lord of war so lord of war will join the wheel of cage so be sure to join us next monday to find out what the Wheel O' Cage spin is and what Nicolas Cage movie we'll be talking about next time on the show. If you liked the show, thank you for listening, whether you liked it or not. But if you liked it, please consider following us. Go to comingofcage.com to find all of our social media handles. You can listen to the show on our website. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, you name it. We're out there. Ryan, anything else you'd like to add about Outcast? don't bother watching it fair enough but it is on amazon prime so you know you could if you really wanted to but all right that's it for us thank you so much for listening we will catch you next time